This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. In the run-up to the election, President Trump questioned the policies and the approach of the Federal Reserve, saying that it at times was political in nature. After that, there were comments that Janet Yellen may consider leaving her position before the end of her term. That doesn't seem likely to happen, but what will the relationship be between Trump and Yellen? We take a look at that with David Zaring, who's Associate Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics here at the Wharton School. He's joining me here in the studio. And on the phone is uh, Lisa Cook, Associate Professor of Economics and International Relations at Michigan State University. David, great to see you again. Welcome back. back. Thank you. Great to have you. Uh, Lisa, great to have you back on the show. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you. Uh, we've been waiting to kind of see, David, what was going to happen between these two. And and we may have gotten maybe a, a little bit of that first salvo. Uh, Yellen saying yesterday that Dodd-Frank doesn't need a big redo, kind of like, you know, 180 from what the president is saying. That's right. She has had to toe a, a difficult line between sort of accommodating some of the things that the president's talked about. Like she said that regulatory look back. Uh, and review of old regulations to see if they're still necessary is something that she could be on board with. That's an initiative that the president has announced and uh, made a big deal out of. And yet at the same time, she clearly thinks that Dodd-Frank is working um, and that uh, it shouldn't be repealed in the way that the president and his treasury secretary or rejiggered in the way that the president and his treasury secretary have suggested is appropriate. Lisa, the comments that that Janet Yellen made yesterday, uh, I'm guessing no real surprise in her approach for you? No, no. I think she was as cautious as she has been and can be. You know, they have uh, three rate hikes that are essentially penciled in, quarter-point uh, rate hikes, that she's in no hurry uh, for those uh, hikes to proceed if the data are not there, especially with respect to uh, increased uncertainty in the economic data she's used to looking at or the FOMC is used to looking at uh, since um, since the inauguration or since these policies, some of these policies have been uh, introduced or at least alluded to. But I, I guess it does appear that, w- again, with some of the data we're continuing to see, and the retail sales number obvi- obviously uh, is a small piece to that, uh, right. there were some estimates earlier today, I heard from some some analysts that were saying, well, you know, it, it's looking more and more like March is a good possibility that we may see a rate hike from the Fed. Well, you know, it could be the case, but, you know, um, we're, we still have a lot to see with respect to the unemployment rate. I mean, it went up because people are reentering the, uh, the job market, right. reentering the, the labor market. So I think we still have to uh, wait and see. So, so, and I think she's uh, taking the right approach. But I think one-third of people suggest that uh, one-third of um, sort of the economists that I've seen uh, who've been surveyed uh, think that there will be a rate hike in, in March. But I think a lot of uncertainty has been introduced, and I think that this will make all of the members of the FOMC more cautious. The, the, the idea that, that is being put around still, that, that lending is still very tough, David, in your perception, I mean, it seemingly has gotten better 
than where we were a few years ago. But then again, banks are still going to have a level that that lenders need to reach. And, it, and it's not going to go back to pre-recession days, is it? Uh, that seems right. I mean, there's a few different perspectives on this. Um, Janet Yellen was telling Congress yesterday that she thinks banks are ready to lend and that money's available. That's not what people on all sorts of places on the political spectrum necessarily agree with. Right. Uh, Elizabeth Warren has said, look, banks aren't lending enough, and she's thinking about um, small businesses. Um, uh, people on Wall Street are worried about bond market liquidity, which isn't the same thing as bank lending, but the idea is that you um, are finding it hard to go out and find financing in the bond markets. That's big businesses, corporate America and Wall Street. And all of these people suggest that credit is difficult. And it's interesting to see the Fed say, well, based on the data that we're looking at, it just doesn't seem to agree, or at least Janet Yellen isn't willing to go there. Lisa, what do you think about that? So I have just been looking at the uh, commercial at commercial lending, and it's it's up, and it has been up since since uh, two thousand nine. Um, so, you know, I, I I think I would be very careful because since I, I work on banks and I survey banks, and it is always the case, and and I survey firms too. Right. It is always the case that they say that they need more financing. I have never, you know, it, it's just sort of systematic over twenty or thirty years of survey. Um, banks always say that they could use more money, and uh, firms always say they can use more money. Now, I think that there are some some places where I, so I worked on on small businesses when I was at the White House, and one place where we could certainly do better that has nothing to do with the amount of financing is the pace at which small businesses are paid. One thing that we were noticing at that time, so this was uh, 2011, 2012, was that uh, suppliers were slowing down payments to small businesses. So right. a lot of these were small business to small business, but this can really, this kind of cash flow crunch can really have a significant effect on a small business. So that's a margin along which there can be some action or some sort of uh, government intervention. And I think this is someplace where uh, Senator Warren might also focus her efforts. I don't think it's the volume of money. I think it's the way in which it is treated. So what we tried to do was to uh, make sure that small businesses who were government contractors were paid in a timely fashion, or at least in a more timely fashion. So at least that wouldn't be a part of their woes. But that timely fashion would end up being, what, 60 days, maybe 90 days at the most? Um, well, that, that's right. So getting as close to 30 days is, yeah. is possible, yeah. right? But but veering away from what was creeping to be uh, 180 days for many suppliers. So then is that then maybe one, one of the key factors that really needs to be addressed in your mind just for small business in general to see if you can if we can try and uh, set something in place to to eliminate that issue? Because, as you said, I mean, some of these small businesses, they don't have the backup cash flow to be able to survive if somebody doesn't pay them for 180 or days or longer. No, they don't. They don't. In, in fact, I'll just tell you a story. I was visiting at the Smithsonian during the government shutdown and a lot of uh, people were, you know, I was tweeting about this, you know, the effect that it was having on, on researchers, but the people around me uh, were also being affected tremendously. You know, a lot of uh, the government services are privatized. Right. So if they didn't 
you know, if, if they didn't work, they didn't get paid. Um, so a lot of people were telling me about this, about the fact that, you know, a mortgage payment is due at a certain time. Even if uh, government wor- workers were paid ultimately, you know, they would have missed a mortgage payment. And they were told to apply for unemployment. That takes time. So, so these small things can have very big effects on individuals, on families, and on small businesses. And often families, individuals, and small businesses are closely interconnected. So, yes, I think there is something that we could do. I think, you know, again, especially with government contractors, that is something that the, uh, the government, the Congress, has more uh, say about. Uh, they could certainly try to help speed up payments in, in a certain way. One of the things that Janet Yellen talked about yesterday was that uh, Congress might want to consider exempting some smaller banks from, from the Volcker rule or yeah. incentive compensation rules. And it could be that that sort of reduction in regulation is something that the Trump administration would like the Fed's willing to go along with. So you're making almost like two tiers for the banks. And and then the question is maybe those smaller banks are more receptive and likely to help out small businesses with the financing they need. So possibly that's one step that we could see coming up where the Fed and the Trump administration will work together. Lisa, let me step back for a second. For for people that are listening to us, and obviously with your background having been at the White House, explain the relationship, just I guess in basic terms, between the president and the chair of the Federal Reserve and how that normally goes. So the Federal Reserve is is independent and um, there is often uh, communication in times of crisis, um, but you know there's just sort of there's a normal line of uh, communication. If there is a is a question, um, if uh, a, a question about the economy, so there's there's sort of uh, regular contact, but there's no uh, congressionally mandated time that the Federal Reserve chair or uh, members have to present to the president, unlike for Congress. So uh, Janet Yellen has to come, or the chair of the Federal Reserve Board has to come to Congress and uh, report uh, on a systematic and regular basis. So uh, between the president and um, the Fed chair, that that relationship has been very different for, for different people. So, as you know, Alan Greenspan was the master yep. at making sure yep. that he stayed in the good graces of a particular president. Um, you know, there were, you know, Volcker did something that would ruin, potentially ruin or, uh, you know, certainly, uh, yeah, well, possibly they would see as ruin uh, their political standing. Um, any president, right? right. So he just hiked interest rates out of this world. Um, he contained uh, inflation, the rate of uh, increase of inflation, and it actually worked. But this is something that most presidents don't volunteer to, to do or to have someone to do. So it really depends. And I think that um, in recent history, Bernanke had you know, a good working relationship in managing the uh, financial crisis. But typically he was working with the uh, the representatives of the administration, like the uh, Treasury uh, and and with others in the uh, in the administration. So I think that it, it really depends on the person. So it'll be interesting to see how this uh, turns out. But I think that one thing that is not clear from statements he's made in the past is that, 
he under I'm talking about President Trump understands what independence of right. institutions means, right. whether it's the judiciary or uh, the Federal Reserve. And I think we absolutely have to guard this this independence. This is what has gotten us out of the recession. Let's be clear, yeah. because uh, Congress advocated its responsibility for fiscal stimulus. Uh, the Fed has been lifting, uh, doing all the hefty lift, lifting, getting us out of the recession. That that can't continue. This isn't normal. And this is a statement that uh, Chair Yellen has continued to make. It's not the first time that she said this. She said this yesterday about uh, the balance sheet of uh, the Federal Reserve. But this has got to turn around. This isn't normal behavior for our central bank and not normal behavior for any central bank. One of the things that Fed chairs think about when they think about their legacy is how independent were they from the president. And, um, you know, there's lots of things that go into that independence calculation. But Nixon's Fed chair, for example, was thought to be um, too close. uh, And it, uh, you know, hurt him as far as uh, uh, the way he's viewed by people today. Right. So, you know, Fed chairs have a sort of legacy-oriented reason to sort of keep their distance. And and that arm's-length relationship characterizes maybe with the exception of Greenspan, most of the more recent Fed chairs. It, it, it's funny, Lisa, that you said independence, because obviously that that is a word that seemingly has a kind of a fluid understanding uh, by the White House right now. Um, it, but So then, uh, obviously, some of this conversation about whether or not Janet Yellen would actually step down from her position before her term ends, which I believe is early 2018, there's really not, I, I don't think many people thought there was a whole lot to begin with that anyway, and it may have just been, you know, just kind of a, a, a media story being thrown out there. She's said she won't do it. She said that again yesterday. Um, and uh, one of the interesting things, the president has said he will replace her uh, when uh, he gets a chance to do so. So it doesn't look like she'll be reappointed. Yeah. Um, she can stay on the Fed. So she can't be chair, but her term as a member of the board lasts until I think 2024. So she could be on the board for a very long time. That's not something that... Right. Um, uh, that chairs usually do, but it has happened in the past. Um, uh, uh, Mariner Eccles did so in the 1950s. Yeah. Um, and um, so I think uh, I think it's unlikely that she goes early, um, uh, but, uh, and I'm not sure where the, the rumors arose or, or whatever, but it certainly seems like she's trying to nip that in the bud. Lisa? But I think the, you know, I, I think this environment is is poisonous in the sense that rumors get started sometimes to undermine independence. And I thought, you know, I I guess I I lived in Russia, too, so I saw how that can happen. But, you know, it happens in this country, too. I mean, you know, for for many different reasons. But I think that I've never heard, uh, heard say this. I mean, and I I, uh, I know her, so I've never heard her uh, say that before. I don't know where such rumors would come from, but it would uh, make it easier for uh, Trump to replace her if uh, there were a rumor, if it were uh, if it were said widely, for example, that she's uh, she's ready to step down or she's ready to leave. I have never heard that, and certainly internally, she seems to be uh, very popular. Uh, and she's risen through the ranks of the Federal Reserve. Not that this is something that people would take into account, but right. I'm, I'm just saying that uh, she is a person who uh, allows information to flow to the top, 
which I think um, among a number of people was a criticism about how uh, the uh, the financial crisis was was handled. That um, the information that and, and not necessarily handled by Greenspan, I should say. Let me be specific. That information that uh, that should have been. Uh, given to him in a free and transparent way didn't necessarily make it to him, um, and I think that she's opened those kinds of channels. That's what I that's what I understand. So I haven't heard that, and I uh, don't lend any credence to those uh, to those rumors that she might leave prematurely. Well, uh, go ahead. No, I'm. Uh, so even if she doesn't, um, the president's going to have a real chance to remake the the Fed. Um, the general counsel's just resigned. He's been on the job for 17 right. years. Yep. There's three vacancies on the boards of the seven members. So that's right. three appointments right there. Uh, he waits two more years and he gets to appoint a chair. It's um, it's He's going to have a real big effect on that institution. And um, you see this with other financial regulators. It's not unprecedented. But at the SEC, not only are they down to two commissioners, so there's three right. for him to appoint, but uh, right. a lot of the heads of the divisions have left um, two. So there's a lot of work to be done in restaffing those financial regulators. And, you know, the staffing choices really can make a huge difference. And, in and, how the- and because there are there are so many kind of regional elements to the Federal Reserve and things that the, the various banks here in Philadelphia, Minneapolis, New York, you name it, uh, you know, it's not like this is an organization that would be or you would want it to be pared down because all of these regions in the country have very important duties that they look at over the course of the year. Yeah, the regional banks are uh, a fixture of the way the Fed uh, has been ever since the beginning of its existence. And uh, one of the reasons they're so important to the way the organization works is because we've always been uncomfortable in America with an almighty central bank. Um, And so um, they tried to create this sort of regional um, uh, institutions that could sort of check the internal power of one all-powerful Fed chair. It's not totally clear now whether the regional banks are able to do that, but they certainly serve important functions interacting yeah. with the businesses in their communities. Lisa? And and the other part of that is that um, we've always wanted to get information from as many different quarters as possible. So we, you know, we look forward to having the page book so we can see how the different regions are, yeah. are doing. And, you know, the boards of the regional banks are, are staffed with people who uh, with uh, with uh, business people who are uh, active in the regional economies and local economies, and that's how they get a lot of information. So I think it's it's um, in addition to being sort of distrust of the central, uh, the the center of the central government, it is also a means by which there can be a flow of information. And I think that that role is still really important. That's my understanding. We're joined on the phone by uh, Lisa Cook of uh, Michigan State University here in the studio. David Zaring at the Wharton School. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Talking about the relationship between President Trump and the Federal Reserve. Uh, Again, 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. And Lisa, with with the fact that uh, it is funny, and I know we've talked about this in the past, that over the last couple of years, 
when we get close to Fed meetings, I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's an unbelievable watch for everybody that's involved with kind of the the financial media industry right now. Right. And especially right. because of the fact that in the last couple of years, you didn't know if there was going to be a rate increase or not. Right. I, I right. mean, it is amazing how this cycle and, and just the watch of the Fed has become right. a, a vital piece to what so many people are following these days. No, I, I agree. It is... It, it was a special kind of industry and a smaller industry when Alan Greenspan was chair and there was, you know, there were all of these people who were trying to divine what he was saying. Uh, he had a special way of communicating. And I think uh, Janet Yellen, I think Ben Bernanke uh, tried to make it more apparent what they were trying to do. I mean, the whole idea is to try to shape expectations, especially uh, business and consumer expectations. And I think that they've come up with a communication strategy that should mitigate a lot of this uncertainty. And I think it it has, but because of the recession and because, again, the central bank has been the one, the Federal Reserve has been the one to uh, be the most active in getting us out of this recession, um, many more reporters have been following its activities. This used to be an arcane uh, event, uh, yeah. an arcane study. Uh, but yes, it, it uh, is covered much more now than it used to be. I never remember sort of live updates from you know the testimony of the chair or live updates from the FOMC. As a macroeconomist and a person who teaches macro, I'm excited, <laughs> obviously. But... I think that there can be overkill, too. And I think um, often uh, reporters read too much into what uh, the chair is trying to communicate. I, I think that they're, I think they don't believe the kind of transparency that the uh, Federal Reserve is trying to put forth. So I think it can go uh, overboard. I'm glad it's being covered, but I think it, there can be overexposure. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's one of the things that's been interesting to see develop in the last few years is this sort of cottage industry of uh, reporters who are the, you know, can come the closest to being the Fed whisperer. So there's a guy at Bloomberg (laughs) who's really good at that. And then there's a guy at the Wall Street Journal who's even better or whatever. Um, And it's just a it's just funny to see what an important and valuable skill it is to just blanket the Fed and be able to figure out what it's going to do next before it even knows itself. Um, but if you can do that, I mean, the, the, it gets to a sort of fundamental problem that the bank has and that um, it's just as Lisa said, it's tried to be more clear about what it plans to do and um, be more transparent to the extent it can. But it needs to retain the flexibility to change its mind. And, and sometimes there's a benefit. Um, you wouldn't think so, but there's a benefit to being able to surprise people. And, and, and yeah. the Fed's had a real problem letting that go and making right. those that flexibility and, and ability to, to change its mind consistent with a sort of policy of transparency and openness about what it plans to do going forward. That being said, uh, to both of you as we, we wrap this up, Lisa, I'll start with you. With, with all of the conversation about the, the potential changes to Dodd-Frank and, and regulation and the impact that it will obviously have on the banking industry, how much could that type of change have on the Federal Reserve and some of the thought processes that they have in terms of things that they might do or not do? Well, it, I think, would be, um, it would be a shame and, and very difficult 
if there were a loss of memory of how the financial crisis came about and why this regulation that was put in place was put in place. Right. So certainly there are, are some things that could be tweaked, but I think, you know, there has to be some institutional uh, memory about this. I was on the Obama transition team at the very beginning in 2008. It was horrible. Yeah. It was horrible. And I think that there has to be a memory about what was happening before, you know, our system was going gangbusters and the economy was growing and we were adding jobs like we are now. Yeah. There has to be a sensitivity to that and to protecting consumers. It's, I think it's not just sort of bank regulation on the uh, bank side, but also for uh, the protection of consumers. It's uh, going to be interesting to see what happens, partly because the Fed has some power, even if Congress and the president want to roll back regulation. So let's right. say they repeal the Volcker rule. Well, the Fed's still going to be in there and bank holding companies supervising <laughs> their day-to-day activities. And right. that sort of informal oversight can really retain a lot of regulatory um, uh, over, I guess, regulatory supervision, even if there's been an effort to pare it back by Congress and the president um, right. just through its ordinary right. sort of actions. And so we'll see if the Fed wants to go that way. And that ends up becoming potentially very important to be able to kind of to not allow some of the things to potentially happen that that a lot of people believe could happen if we see a lot of regulatory rollback. Great to have you both with us again. Thank you, David, for coming in. Greatly appreciate it. Pleasure. Lisa, great to have you on the phone as always. Thank you. No, you're welcome. Thank you as well. Uh, David Zaring from the Wharton School. Lisa Cook from uh, Michigan State University. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.